Praise the Lord. Well, my name is Stephen. I'm very blessed to be the pastor and to open the word of God with you this morning. Uh, the Lord is good. And it's great to have our friends, the Wells here from Troy. Great to see you. Thank you for coming. We love you guys. And you have very cute kids. We have been in a series looking in the book of Acts at the early church. And we're looking at how the church is growing and how they are um, honoring God and what they're doing as they set a pattern and we see what God is doing ultimately in the church as he sets a pattern for how the church grows and what he wants to do. And so as we look at these, not just stories, but these accounts of the church and of the people trusting God and seeking him, it is interesting for us now to think about life in 2023, a little bit different context, and yet the same message still applies. And at the end of the day, the one message that we proclaim is Jesus Christ crucified, raised from the dead. He is our salvation. The only way to God is through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we're separated from God because of our sin. But in Jesus, we can find life and we can find his grace and his peace and the righteousness that only Christ can give us that we cannot accomplish ourselves. What a great message. And it's good news. And what we're going to find as we look in Acts chapter 19, if you'll turn there with me, please. Acts chapter 19 in the New Testament. Acts chapter 19, Paul's the apostle, and he is um, moving around to different areas, and he is in Ephesus. And Ephesus is an interesting place. This is where we get the book from the, to the Ephesians. So the book in our Bible that's Ephesians is the church in Ephesus. And the Ephesian people there have a giant temple. And their temple is to an idol and to a, a goddess, a Greek goddess named Artemis. And they are uh, very celebrated and known in the ancient world for this beautiful temple. Now, a lot of crazy things happen from prostitution on the steps of the temple to sacrificing stuff to idols to um, a giant gift shop. Uh, if you are an idol worshiper in this time period and you want to go to Disneyland, if there was a Disneyland for idol worship, this is where you go. The gift shop is the best gift shop. The rides are the best rides. The food is the best around. It's the best place that you can go to try to do the idol worship thing. And so Ephesus is a big deal for that. It's also a big deal because it's the crossroads of a lot of different uh, commercial, commerce, and traveling paths to get around the Roman Empire. And so Ephesus is a major city and a major entry point into basically Asia and the known world at this time. So this is a significant area in which Paul is working, and he is going to stay with the church for several years as he trains them in the truth of the gospel, and they proclaim the one message of Jesus Christ. Now, this message of Jesus is so starkly different than the message of the idol worship of the age that it is, it is spreading like wildfire throughout the community. Because suddenly, they have a God that's not demanding of them all these things. Because if you go to worship Artemis in the temple, there's demands put on you with all these things. Instead, there's a God who is reaching out in love for them. And it's, they, they can't even believe their ears of what is this idea that you have, that God would condescend, that he would come down to us, that he would not just be one that we have to bring all our offerings to all the time, but he would send his son as the offering that would save us, it's too good for words. And then on top of that, there is mighty power that's happening. And so Paul 
is bringing this message of salvation in Jesus Christ and God's love for us, and people are getting saved and healed. A lot of people are getting healed. So much so that some of the people are even taking, we talked about last week, snot rags from Paul, and they're bringing them to other people and touching them with the snot rag. How gross is that? But they are getting healed. So famous that some of the other religious people who are not following Christ are trying to heal in the name of Jesus or cast out evil spirits in the name of Jesus and of Paul. In one, in one uh, moment, some well-known preacher guys of the Jewish faith try to cast out an evil spirit in the name of Jesus and Paul, and the evil spirit looks at them and says, I know who Jesus is, I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And they don't have a good answer, and then the guy, this demon-possessed guy, beats up seven of these exorcist people. It's incredible. It's so incredible that the town has changed their focus. And where there was mysticism and witchcraft and temple worship and this idol stuff, the people are taking generational, generationally held literature about witchcraft and, and spells and are burning it publicly to get rid of that way of life and instead follow Jesus because they found that there's no power in these spells but there is power and, and wholeness and grace in Jesus Christ. It's incredible. Millions and millions of dollars worth in today's money of this material is being burned. And then something happens. So everything sounds great. In fact, Acts even tells us that from this place, all of Asia has heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's incredible because there is no FaceTime. There are no cell phones. There's no YouTube, there are no reels, and yet buzzing through the, through the marketplaces is this word about Jesus who really heals and, and he saves people and people's lives are changed and they used to be this way and now they're following him and it's amazing. How cool is that? Now we're going to find some opposition to the message. So let's read together in Acts chapter 19. And we're going to read in verse 21. Acts 19, verse 21. Now after these events, all the things I just explained to you, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, let me pause for just a second. When we say the way, we mean this is the earliest name of the Christians, following the way. Whose way are they following? It's Jesus. They're following Jesus in the way. Um, they are because Jesus said, go make disciples. Disciples follow. So they're following the way of Christ. Pretty cool. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the, to the craftsmen. These, the craftsmen, he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades. And he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she, she may even be disposed from her magnificence. 
she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and, uh, and Aristarchus. Oh, I'm saying it wrong. Aristarchus, thank you. Man, it got me. Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in amongst the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him, and they were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for almost two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that, this, that the city of the great Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis, one of the sacred stones that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen, have him, uh, craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Praise the Lord for his word. Now, what a scene that we have here. What a scene that we have as we think about Paul in Ephesus all of this is happening outside, really, of Paul himself. So many times when we see things happen in Acts in the New Testament, as the church is moving forward, usually there's a person who's bringing a message, and then a little riot or something, some kind of either revival or revolt, will begin based on what the person has said. This one, however, is different. In this case, this guy Demetrius, he's a silversmith. So his job, his income, is to make little idols. And he gets together his little silver idols, which would be, especially in this time period, very precious and expensive. And so he's bringing these things together, and he has his gift shop, if you will, outside of the big temple. Now, the problem is that all of the tourism that's usually coming to the temple is trickled to a very small flow. What's why? What's happened? The answer is the way... The way of Christ, the word of God has spread everywhere, and people are abandoning this way of life. They're abandoning their idols, and they have come to realize that there is no power in the idols. That, in fact, that's just a chunk of metal, or a chunk of stone, or a chunk of whatever. And those things have no hands, or feet, or mouths, and they can't actually do anything. And, in fact, the demons that maybe are making some kind of powerful things are being conquered just by the name of Jesus. And so at Jesus' name, the power that they thought what they were worshiping before was, was everything, in fact, is shown to be nothing. And so they're getting rid of all their stuff. They're getting rid not only of all of their magic things, because they, they get rid of all their witchcraft books and all these kind of things, and we see that at the end, and at the end of 19 chapter, chapter 19, verse 19, 
but also in this case now, we're realizing that the whole economy of the countryside has changed. So Demetrius, who must be pretty influential getting together all the craftsmen, this would be like the, the union of idol makers? I don't know, something like that. So he gets together the union. He says, we got to do something about this Paul guy. What's really interesting is they get very upset and start shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, which gets everybody upset. And then they run into the theater. Now, in this time period, the theater is like the central gathering place for the town. So uh, imagine for a second if you wanted to have a really big meeting, a really big meeting in St. Louis, everybody goes to Bush Stadium. So we can fill the seats, and we're going to have this big meeting. Something important is happening. But as the people get in there, they are going crazy. And most of the people don't even really know what's going on. But at one point, when a foreigner stands up to say something, they realize this guy is a Jewish guy. He must not be okay. And so they bring things back to a local thing. And the rallying cry of the local area is, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, this is their frenzied chant. Now understand, in idol worship, this would be a common thing because if you want to have a religious experience, chanting, getting yourself frenzied up, it, this is a big deal. So this is known to the people. Uh, so for instance, we don't have this in our culture anymore, but have you ever been a casual fan of something? I know some of you in here are not casual fans. I have, I've had conversations with a few of you who are very much fans of things. Uh, but have you ever had somebody with you maybe who's just a casual fan? Or you're basically at the Super Bowl to watch the commercials. You know, but then you're with somebody who's really there to watch the game, and all of a sudden, like, the room becomes electric, and you're doing stuff. If you've never experienced this, Cardinals fans are great fans. Don't, we're the best fans, don't get me wrong. But baseball is a little, you know, we're watching it. It's a little slower. Go to a hockey game. Half the people there want to fight. They don't want to watch the fight. They want to fight. They're ready for that. If you really want to see it, go to a St. Louis City game and just watch. Just the sound is deafening. Have you been by St. Louis City, the stadium, when the soccer guys are playing? Just go by it. It's awesome. It's very loud. Half of the crowd just sings the entire time. Like drums. Some of you are nodding because you know. Like they, they call themselves the hooligans. It's a big deal. And it's very exciting. It's very exciting. If you've never experienced any of those things, go to any middle school event anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. And then have anything happen where you mention one of the grades. Like, hey, seventh grade. And they'll just be cheering and screaming for a while. Because that's what they do. Now, half of the kids don't, like, they're not even awake in class. But if you mention their grade, all of a sudden they're like jumping. One kid's got his shirt off. You're like, what are you doing? Put your shirt back on. This kid's like tearing paper. Like, what? No. And so here's these guys, and their rallying cry is kind of like that. You know, remember that old thing like, hey, we got spirit. We got more. You know that one? It's almost like that. They see this Jewish guy, and they're like, hey, we got spirit for Ephesus. What do you got? And then they just start chanting for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Here's the crazy part. You can chant all together for two hours, and Artemis cannot hear her. They cannot hear them. She has no ears. She's nothing. And here's Paul, who's getting ready to say that. He's like, let me in. This is my moment. 
which they're going to hurt somebody. They, they're not, and they are motivated. What's motivating the, the leaders of this? Money. Greed and money. Listen, money can motivate people to do some crazy stuff. Watch the prices right. <laughs> I haven't seen the prices right for a long time, and I had to be in a waiting room for like a long time, and the price of right was just on reruns. What, do you know they all dress up now in like crazy costumes and stuff? I, some of the people are, I don't know how they got through the security, but they did. But they, money motivates you. And man, I'll tell you what, if they get more than $100, you see them go crazy. You know, if the $24,000 sweepstakes one, they're f flopping around the floor, which, hey, praise God, that's fun. If you win 24 grand, praise the Lord. I'll celebrate with you. But I'm just saying, like, you can see people that money motivation gets high fast. And in this case, they are motivated by money for one purpose, get rid of Paul. And so the smart people, the Asiarchs, these are some of the leaders from this area, some of the other disciples are holding Paul back because they know this is what, he, this is what he's for. He wants to jump in and meet with the crowd. He's going to see God do something. It's going to be great. Or we'll all die today. It's going to be either way. It's going to be great. Like that's Paul's attitude. And so they're holding it back because this is the whole town together and they're not rational anymore. Until the clerk stands up and he's very rational. What's his big concern? He says, we need to, hey, there's courts. We can, if you have a charge, you can bring it. We need to be careful because we're about to be charged with rioting. Because remember, this place, yes, Ephesus, yes, Asia, yes, the people that live there who are indigenous, but this place is under Roman rule, and they do not like riots. Anything that challenges their order, they will squash immediately with blood. There's no in-between. And so he is bringing them back to that reality, and it snaps everybody back into right thinking. Here's what I want to point out to you, though. What does it look like when God moves on a community? What does it look like when God moves on a community? Because if this was a different scene, and it was everybody shouting, Jesus is Lord, that's what we would expect. We would expect it to be a community who comes together in, an, in a stadium, in Bush Stadium. And all of Bush Stadium is just crying out that Jesus is Lord for two hours. And that would be the mark of good. Don't you think that would be it? But there's a different mark that happens here. There's two things. The first one is people go crazy. They go crazy. Jesus himself said that you will face opposition. People will hate you because of this message. Jesus himself said, as I've taken my cross, you take up your cross and follow me. Jesus himself said, you will be my witnesses. And what happened to him? Great suffering. And I'm saying that because our expectation has to change sometimes. Our expectation often is, if I tell people the truth about Jesus, everyone will like me. The reality is, probably they will not. And one or two will stir up other people who don't even know what's going on, and suddenly they're all against you. And you're like, what is happening? Again, seventh grader at lunch. We've all seen this. How easy is it for a whole lunch table to turn against one person? It's amazing. And it makes middle school so hard, doesn't it? But hey, guys, that's human nature. 
And I'm telling us that because you put one thing on Facebook about Jesus is Lord and he loves you, and all of a sudden you have 15 comments about shut up and get out of my face. You're like, what did I do? And, and then we're thinking, well, maybe God didn't use me or he didn't show up. And it's, I'm telling you, it's not true because look at what happens. It doesn't mean people will like you if you tell them about Jesus, but it does mean that some people will come to find him and their whole lives will change. And that's the other thing we see here is that the real mark of revival in Ephesus, despite people shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, because people are kind of not so smart sometimes. They all get whipped up in the crowd. Like, think about people who, you know, support Dallas Cowboys. Like, you know, that's all right. It's going to be okay. I'm just ah, I'm playing. I'm playing. We all know it's, it's the Cubs. <laughs> It's the Cubs. That's right. I'm joking. But I'm joking. We're just, hey, praise the Lord. Sports, whatever. But the reality here is people can get whipped up for anything. But what's the root of what happens in the revival? The entire economics of the region have shifted. Let me say that again. The commerce, the economy, the economics of Ephesus and Asia have shifted because of the gospel. That it's like almost overlooked in this passage that when the gospel has come forth and Jesus ruling and reigning and changing lives and healing people, when that happens and the church is spreading the word about Jesus, it doesn't look like people liking them. It does look like economies changing. And that is shocking. It's shocking because the Lord's measure is not how much people like you. The Lord's measure is our faithfulness, that we love him and follow him and serve him and proclaim the message, whether they like us or not. But at root, whole trades are starting to go under. Trades that are rooted in, that are built on idol worship and going other ways and unrighteousness. Because if that trade is going under, guess what else is going under? Prostitution is going under. Begging on the steps is going under. You know, I had a friend, uh, I had a, we had some friends I got to meet from Belarus, and I've told you this before, it's just so fascinating to me. And they had been evangelizing, 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 and they got to a point where in some small towns, everyone had heard the gospel. And like 80% of the town was coming to church and receiving the gospel, but 20% just resistant, didn't like it, didn't want to hear it, didn't care. And so they were praying, the leaders, and they're like, Lord, what should we do? Because we keep telling the gospel, they don't want to hear it. Will you just intervene? And the Lord said, stop worrying about them and go do something else. I said, well, what should we do? And they, so they looked on a map and they found the biggest orphanage in the area and they adopted every kid. And the state, closed, a state-run socialist country, closed down the orphanage, didn't know what to do. Because the gospel changes economies. It changes everything. It changes people's hearts. It changes how we worship. It changes what we do. It changes everything. And when Jesus is Lord, he's not just Lord over chanting in stadiums. And you know what? I love going to big meetings. Praise God. That would be so fun. I want to hear everybody proclaim Jesus is Lord for two hours. Amen to that. Not against that. But I'm saying our measure can't be the flash in the pan moment of when people get riled up. Instead, the measure is we're changing economies. We're changing governments. We're changing laws. We're changing things that looked like what used to be exploiting people and pushing them down and hurting them and now looks like 
loving people, adopting them, bringing them in, instructing them in the word, training them, showing them who they are in Jesus. And suddenly the whole countryside changes until the silversmiths are freaking out so much that they got to murder Paul. Then we're doing something. Doesn't, you know who else that sounds like? It sounds like Jesus. Because the, the religious leaders of the day were like, we got to kill this guy. We can't stop him. Everybody loves him. And Jesus' message was difficult because he had thousands of people following him who loved eating all the food he'd provide and loved seeing the healings. And then he stood up one day and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And they were like, what? Is, what? This is too much for us. So there's a temptation sometimes to back off from our message because it seems so hard. And instead, just to tell, hey, Jesus loves you, it's fine. And have the big stadium things where people cry out his name, but then the economy doesn't change, and lives don't change, and disciples aren't made. And what is the measure of our faithfulness? What is God actually doing? He's changing economies. Maybe our prayer should reflect that. You know, sometimes we pray and it seems small, but maybe our prayer should reflect bigger things. Lord, change us. Change the fabric of St. Louis. Lord, let us see godliness in every place. You know, it's shocking to me to go downtown and see beautiful buildings and boarded up buildings right next to each other. There will be a day when the church is making all things new in him because God is doing it. And it looks like righteousness and peace and joy, spiritual things that become real in how we love people. It's why we get food stuff for loaves and fishes. It's why we help a Haitian family. It's why we do a heap offering to bring people in. It's why we do all these things. I'm also going to tell you right now, who speaks at this great event? Nobody. The clerk who tells him to quiet down. But we often orient ourselves to, if God would just make me the great speaker at the tent revival, then I know I'm making it. And I'm, I'll be released. Be released. If you're a young person and God's calling you to that, praise God. I hope it happens. But for most all of us, what does it look like just to be faithful where we are? That our businesses and our families and the way we treat people and the way we love people and the way we help those who are poor and sick and hurt and the way we proclaim the gospel, it looks like Jesus. And that changes everything. What would it look like to be known as the church that's always serving, that's always helping, that's protecting people, that's speaking out for righteousness, the church that is not liked by the world, not liked, vilified on Facebook, and yet reaching out all the time. Wouldn't you rather be faithful to what he says? Now, here's the other thing. I'm talking about changing economies. Maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, oh, Lord, I just need to cut my front lawn so it's not... You know, like the city's going to come soon. I, I just want my, temp, my, my testimony to be okay. That's all I want. Praise the Lord. Be, who's doing this? It's God doing this. And he does it through like, have you ever noticed how a tree grows? Have you ever cut down a tree or, or like dug under it and you find these little roots that are holding onto the ground and this giant tree that's up there? It's fascinating, and they're so hard to pull out, but they're, at the end, there's just these little tiny roots that go into stuff. That's how God grows. How is it without Facebook, without YouTube, without Snapchat or whatever, I don't know, all the things now, 
without ChatGPT, how is it possible that all of Asia has heard the word of God and that it's so effective that it is changing the commerce of the nation? And I'm telling you, it's not, it's not the tent revival. It's the people. It's the little roots. It's loving our neighbor. It's being faithful to what God's called us to. And God uses that, and he delights in it, and he gives us opportunity to do more because he said, if you're faithful in little, then I'll give you much to be faithful in. And yet we want to rush to the tent revival. And I'm saying this to you also to say, be at peace. Where God has put you, your neighbors, your friends, the lunch table you sit at with, whoever you sit at at work, that's, that's who God has decided. Talk to those people. And if you open your mouth, are they going to like you? Maybe. Maybe not. But will the Lord's face shine on you? Will it be worth it? Amen. Yes. 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 Amen. And then what if it, what if it changes the economy? What if, it, what if it changes the business? What if it looks like righteousness in St. Charles and righteousness in West County and righteousness in North County and righteousness even in, in Illinois? God help us. Because it's the, it's the word. It's the gospel. It's him at the end of the day. Because we don't proclaim prosperity. We don't proclaim happiness. We proclaim Christ and him crucified. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you come to him, you will find healing. If you're unsure and you don't know, uh, just pray. You'll meet him. All I'm going to tell you is Jesus died and rose again, and you should bend the knee to him. Don't believe me? That's, you pray. Be careful. You should believe. That's, I tell people that. So let me arm you. If you're not sure, you don't have the degrees, you don't feel trained, you don't feel ready, just with the people God's told you, just tell them your testimony. Let me tell you what God did for me. That's what it means to be that little root. And just say, hey, the Lord used me. I want you to know him. He says in his word that we should confess our sins. We should come to him. He will heal us. He's our king. Do you know him? I want you to know him. You don't like me anymore? Okay. And then we'll help each other because we can be family together to build each other up. Amen to that. So what does this teach us? It teaches us this. You are the little root that changes nations. And God doesn't use YouTube or Facebook. He uses the church. He uses people proclaiming his word everywhere. And he uses Paul speaking, but bigger, he uses the, all the disciples speaking in their context to spread the word. What do we know? We know that God is in charge of all things and that the whole world will bow the knee to Jesus, including economies, governments, families, all of it. And it will look like righteousness, peace, and joy. What should we do? Let's be faithful to Jesus. Let's reorient how we have defined success. That success doesn't always look like the giant stadium. Sometimes, praise God, let's have the giant stadium. That'd be awesome. But that's not our measure of success. The measure of success is the Lord reigning over everything. He reigns here. He reigns there. He reigns on, on Big Bend Road. He reigns over the, the Highway K construction that never ends, that someday we'll see that come to restoration on Highway K. And we can be a part of it. And we can't, we're not going to complain about what it's like. See, but our, it changes our whole everything, doesn't it? God's good. So what do we do? Let's be faithful to Jesus. 
The Lord has called you to good things. Let me pray for you, and you're going to know his power to go and do all that he has called you to. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son. Forever the second person of the Trinity. Lord, you became a man for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, we worship you because you're worthy to be worshipped. Thank you that Jesus, fully man, fully God, took the punishment for us, for our sin, that we can be yours. Lord, we are so thankful to be your children. We are so thankful to know salvation in you because of his death and resurrection. Lord, we ask you that you would help us to be faithful with your message. Lord, not with a message that gets popularized by reels and social media. Although, Lord, we ask you, use social media for your glory. But, Lord, use us, use our relationship, use our mouths, use our hands. Help us, Lord, to honor you. Help us, Lord, to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim his death and resurrection. Lord, help us to abandon all of the junk. Lord, any idol worship, anything, and instead turn wholly to you. And, Lord, help us to change our community. That like Ephesus, Lord, we would find that your word has spread to every person. That, Lord, we are seeing economies change. Lord, we're seeing people in their last-ditch desperate effort crying out with what they think is crying to idols. But instead, Lord, it shows even their foolishness. Lord, we trust you because you are doing good things. Lord, as you gather people to yourself, as you change hearts, as you save them, Lord, use us. Use us as we communicate your word. Use us as we reach out. Use us as we represent you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray that you would give every person here an opportunity this week, Lord, that they would see a place and clearly know by your spirit that this is where you have planted them to be the root to touch somebody, Lord, to touch a person with your gospel, Lord, to reach out to them and tell them about the lordship of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us a great harvest a harvest of righteousness to see your name and your fame increase in all the earth until that day when the whole earth in one voice cries out, Jesus Christ is Lord. We love you and we praise you. May you know the call of the Father. May you know the rule of the Son. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit as he uses you this week to do great things for his kingdom. Be blessed. God bless you. We're dismissed. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.